if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be camping out here this morning. The other day, um, Russell, my six-year-old, came out very concerned uh, to Jessica. And he said, Mama, I love Jesus and I want to follow him, but I keep sinning. Does that mean I'm going to hell? <laughs> Russell is asking a question that we have all thought of. In our new life in Christ, as we have sought our life to come under his lordship, that we have been reconciled in Christ Jesus, yet still there are some tendencies, maybe habits, or sometimes even a willful desire to sin. And so what do we do with that? Do we just, you know, withdraw from all of life and, you know, we, we shut everything down so that we keep ourselves pure in all the ways that we do? You see, the, the message of the gospel is not only for the hope of the future redemption in store for us in Christ Jesus, but the message of the gospel is that Christ has a present purpose with us as the people of God, as Christ's presence is among us by his spirit. We've been working through um, 1 Corinthians and we've arrived at a challenging passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the spirit. And so for us to go into this passage well, we've paused to back up to say, what is the role and the work of the spirit in our life? So we're going to start with this big idea, this main idea for us to understand what the work of the Spirit is in our life. It's on the back of your bulletin, and it's on the screen here this morning. It says this. The main idea is that in saving us through Christ and the Spirit, God has created a people who live the life of the future in the present, a life reflecting the character of God, imitating the way of Jesus through the enabling work of the Spirit as we live in a world that has not yet been completely redeemed. And here's what I mean by this. If you read the New Testament, you're going to see this understanding of this overlap of the ages, the already and not yet in Christ Jesus. The next slide here, I have these instances for us. Jesus taught that the power of the kingdom has arrived that the power of the kingdom, the kingdom exists in the midst of gathered Christians. We've seen this in 1 Corinthians chapter three. And that as we gather together, we are entering into the kingdom of God already. But he also teaches that it has not yet fully arrived in its completeness. For his followers to pray for it, for on earth as it is in heaven, and that it would not fully arrive until the end of time. Consider what Paul teaches about the already reality in Christ, but the not yet reality in Christ. Paul teaches that as we become Christians, we are transferred now into Christ's kingdom, although the evil age is still present to us. And we feel this tension of living in the midst of both. Paul will say things like, we have already been saved, yet we shall be saved. That we are already redeemed, yet we will be redeemed. We are already adopted, yet we will be adopted. We are already reigning in heaven as kings, yet someday we will reign as kings. And I believe that this is the tension behind Russell's question and the question that we often ask. 
I love Jesus, I still sin, I'm justified in Christ Jesus, but I'm still under the effects of sin in my life. So I think it's important for us to reframe Russell's question. I love Jesus, I keep sinning. We need to reframe the question to this and not simply ask, what is the moral way to act? But what is a way that is in line with the Spirit? What is the way to live as the way uh, on earth as it is in heaven? So that's going to be our challenge here this morning. And what I want to show us is that the Spirit's work is active among us today. We asked this question last week about the gifts of the Spirit. Have they ceased? Are they still active? Well, can we back up before we ask that question and see, is the Spirit active in our life today? And we see that he absolutely is. Let's read Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Here is what Paul is commending us to do in this already not yet reality. He says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. So the first thing that I want to point out to us this morning, that walking by the Spirit, the Spirit's work in our lives is a life of conflict. Paul says, walk by the Spirit so you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. This tells us two things, that the life of the Christian in the Spirit is not passive. We don't just go about life as we will, nor is obedience automatic. Because I have the Spirit in my life doesn't mean that I automatically obey everything as I should. We continue to live in this between times, and that assumes that we live in a world that is very much controlled by the flesh. But it also assumes that we live in the world now as a different people, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And this is the conflict that Paul also addresses in Romans 8, uh, verses 7 through 9. He says this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. 
Last week, we saw that the Spirit is active in our lives in this way, living in conflict with our flesh, because the Spirit searches all things, the Spirit helps teach us the gospel to understand it, the Spirit dwells among and within believers, the Spirit gives life to those who believe, the Spirit cries out from within our hearts, the Spirit leads us in the way of God, bears witness with our own spirit, and its desire is in opposition to the flesh. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Walking in the Spirit is a life of conflict. The Spirit convicts us of sin. So how do we live in the, the Spirit well? I think that would be a good question for us to ask. If we are to walk by the Spirit, how should we live in the Spirit well? The first, uh, well, I don't know if you could label it one, two, three, but the first that I have for us is a life of prayer. A life that is devoted to seeking the Spirit in all things. Put your entire mind on Christ. And what this does for us, when we live in prayer in this way, walking in between, it does this for us. We pray in these three ways. First, humbly. We pray humbly knowing the desires of my flesh can often be, or the desires of my flesh are opposite of the Spirit. This means that knowing and recognizing my sin should create within me a deep humility about who I am and what I think of others. And what I mean by thinking of others is not to say, oh, how foolish you are walking in sin. No, it should bring us to a humility to be the presence of God. And what Paul's going to say in, in Galatians 6 is to restore a brother in gentleness. So we look at the ways that the Spirit is working among us and we pray humbly realizing we need the Spirit. Second, we pray joyfully. We can pray humbly knowing the desires of our flesh, but we can also pray joyfully knowing Christ's great love for you. Knowing and recognizing Christ's love for me will create a joyful contentment, whatever may come, and a gentle presence among others who are struggling with sin. The third way that we can walk in the Spirit through prayer is to pray hopefully. Know that the Spirit's work is within you, hopeful that the Spirit cares more about me than I do. That God loves you more than you do. God is able to completely save you, and he sees you, and he still is moving towards you by the conviction of his Spirit. So walking in the Spirit, in this conflict of conviction, doesn't mean drudgery. It doesn't mean, woe is me, how terrible I am. There may be seasons of that. There may be seasons of where we are in deep mourning over our sin. But this is a repentance that should lead to joy, and that joy is what we see as a fruit of the Spirit. When we understand Christ's love for us, we can, come, we can put our sinful desires to death with joy. Consider what James says. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And here's what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, or if any of you lacks how to do it, you do not understand how to walk by the Spirit in these ways, what do you say? Ask God. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you more than you love you. 
in this passage of James, there is an expectation of prayer through our trials. And I just want to offer this caveat here about what about when conviction fades? What about when conviction fades? I think the first question you need to ask is then am I walking in line? Am I keeping in step by the Spirit? Or what Paul says, that we've been crucified with Christ. Are you crucifying the desires of your flesh to walk in line with the Spirit? When conviction fades, it should not be a warm, fuzzy feeling for us. This should be like an alarm bell going off. And one thing that I wanna offer for you is that often we have blind spots. We, we operate where we don't often see where we are blind or lacking in conviction, or maybe you, know, you just have a season of anger or lashing out. My encouragement would be to go and find a brother or sister in Christ and say, what are some blind spots that you see in my life? I read a quote this week it hit me right in the gut. It was by Gordon Fee. He's a theologian that said this, a prayerless life is one of practical atheism. A prayerless life is one of practical atheism. And so if we, and I'm not saying that I have my prayer life all figured out and that I'm doing so wonderful at it. But what Paul is commending us to do is to walk by the Spirit, walk in the ways of the Spirit. And one way that we do this is to seek the Spirit through prayer, what has he said? Through his word. Prayer, therefore, is like a labor. There's a pain that comes with a healthier lifestyle, eating healthy, working out, adjusting habits. But what comes with that pain? There's joy. Uh, you, with that pain that you go through, you have more endurance. You work through these things to get your body ready for that. Prayer is a similar way. So if you have lived a life that is a little void of conviction, or if you've not heard from the Spirit convicting you of sin, then I would encourage you to exercise that muscle through prayer. Exercise the spiritual discipline of prayer. Next, the fruit of the Spirit, or the work of the Spirit, is a life of growth. Like most of us, we have children. Russell's now six, and one of their favorite things to do is get my phone and look through pictures when they were babies. And when we look at the pictures, like we see, like just a year ago, how small they were, but now how much bigger they are. We know that they've grown, but we don't see that they've grown. Growth in the Christian life can be somewhat of the same. It is a process. It could be slow growth. And this is why I love the metaphor that Paul uses about the fruit of the Spirit. There are seasons of growth within this tree. And so the question is, what is the fruit in your life? If you had to look at your life, what is your life producing in your fruit? And you can see this by your actions. Uh, last year uh, at VBS, there was one day, poor Paige and Sidney, they had like 30 five-year-olds. And one five-year-old is enough. But if you put 35-year-olds together, it's like tying a string to a cat's tail and putting them all together and trying to hurt them. They're everywhere. They're crazy. So I came uh, one day to help them with their group, and I was not playing. Like we, I'm drill sergeant mode with these five-year-olds. We're going to get in, out, bathroom done, stand up, sit down, let's move it. So we're going from this building to the FLC. And of course, one child has to, to use the restroom, which means it's a bathroom break for everybody. 
So I go to these kids, I line up all the boys, use the bathroom, no, sit up, stand down, I get them all ready. We get them all there, and then the group moves upstairs. Paige and Sydney leads them upstairs. But I got one kid that's lagging behind, and he's shuffling his feet. And then when I approach him about it, he starts to cry. So I, don't, I, can't, I can't go upstairs, and I'm still in drill sergeant mode. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Let's go. We just got to go up the stairs. It's not scary. I'll be with you. He's like, no, I can't do it. I can't go upstairs. I can't. I want to go home. I want my mom. It's like, your mom's not here. I'm here. It's fine. Let's just move. Let's go. And it felt like forever, like arguing with this kid to get him up the stairs until finally I got down on his level, and I said, buddy, what is wrong? And he said, I got this... I got this bobo on my lip, and I don't want the other kids to see it and make fun of me. Okay, so here's what's happening. The fruit of his life, the emotion that he is displaying is fear, sadness, tears, but that's just the presenting problem for this child. What's deeper inside is this fear that children are going to make fun of him, He has a deep insecurity about the way he looks and how other children are going to react. You see, when you look at your own life, and you are going through seasons of a lot of anxiety, you're just really anxious about something, or you're just always stressed out, always on edge, never patient, you always feel like the world's crashing in on you. Maybe it's a season of life of just anger. I mean, husbands and wives, think about how many times like, where things seem fine in the house, but you just know that there's a tension in there. This is just the presenting problem. This is just the fruit of what is the soil, what you're planted in, in your life. So for the Christian life to display fruit of the Spirit, to grow in the Spirit, it must be planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must let this infect every area of our life. We must let it get deep down inside to the reason why we think and behave. We need to be crucifying these things. You see, walking by the Spirit is not just to say, well, Jesus says I shouldn't be angry, so I'm just going to bite my tongue and boil it all inside. Jesus says, I'm just gonna, I should be kind, so I'm just going to bite my tongue. Sometimes it is those things. It's absolutely a lot of times those things. But to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, for a life of growth, you must get deep inside of what is in your own heart and mind and what it is that you believe. What is it that Jesus says about your past? What is it about that Jesus says about... The, the sin that just keeps coming up in your mind. What, why are you, re, why do we repeat these patterns of sin? Where have we stalled in our growth in Christ? And we need to con- continually be pruning and watering and shaping our lives through the word, by the power of the spirit, planted deep in the gospel. And when we do this, we will see that what comes out of our life is love. Let me get to it. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this just isn't fruit of the Spirit for the individual believer. This is the fruit of the Spirit for the church. 
Okay, so imagine, imagine if we were a local congregation within our context that was active about living in this in-between stage, this already not yet, going into the world, seeking to do ministry in our area for Christ Jesus by the power of a spirit. And we were a community that was marked with love. And we did it with joy. And everybody that came into our presence just felt this peace that is within us in Christ Jesus. That we were kind, that we were good, that we were faithful. This is the mark of his church. And this is what we should be flowering as a church of Alpine. This is what should be being produced outside of our life. And here's the last point. This work of growth by the Spirit happens through his people, the body of Christ. Let's go back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, don't you know that you yourselves, y'all, us, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in our midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together all are the temple. Paul shows an explicit awareness that the church, the people of God, is the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in our midst. Believers are not the temple because of anything that we've done. Believers are the temple because of their identification with Christ's Spirit and with Christ himself. And so this is where we need to take careful consideration about how even we operate within this body together. Are we seeking the Spirit in this body? Are we seeking to grow in the Spirit? Are we encouraging one another, pushing one another, exhorting one another? Paul uses this metaphor of the body of Christ to describe the Christian community and how all of us need each other. So, how do we do this? There are three ways, I think, that um, I've given us here to think about this, and it's a, an alliteration here. Prayer, uh, praise, prayer, and presence. What does it mean to be the temple of God for us? Well, what was the temple of God for those in the Old Testament? This was a place for them to go for praise, for prayer, for sacrifice, and to be near the Lord's presence. So let's look at how we can do this together. First, it's praise. Well, I got it reversed, but first we're going with praise. The temple was a place for people to draw near with their worship. See, we gather now as a temple of God in his presence to worship him, not just with song, but in the word and with our lives. Our ongoing task is to serve God in his temple. The essential sacrifice that we offer is our own body, Romans 12.1, which is a living and a holy sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. We lay down our lives in this way to serve one another with our life. Praise is not just what we do when we gather and sing three or four songs on a Sunday morning, even though that can be powerful. Praise is what we do with our entire life. Praise is how we continually serve one another with our entire being. um, As I've led worship, I've played my favorite song many times to lead us in worship, and it's Jesus is Better. And um, 
the bridge, as you know, um, in all my sorrows, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. You know why that song is, has just tied so deeply into my heart? Is not just because of the truth of the song, uh, but a few years ago, um, one of my friends was having his first son, and they were having some complications uh, with his son uh, before he was about to be born. And they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if uh, he was going to survive, uh, what medical complications that he was going to have. And he gave a, a testimony at church one day uh, talking about um, just asking for prayer for Kuiper. And then this was the very next song that he had asked uh, the worship leader at that time to play. That you know, whatever happens, that Jesus is better. And so when we, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we are going to probably be a mixed bag of emotions. Some of us are gonna be very much in the joy of the Spirit. We're very much gonna have the peace of the Spirit but others are gonna come and they are just going to have been working through a really poor diagnosis, potentially. Some of us are just gonna be standing firm in faithfulness and loving God with all of our heart and nothing can get us down and someone just lost someone very close to them, maybe a mother or a sister or a brother. And this is why the body of Christ is so important. It's because we gather together to huddle together to work out Russell's question. I still sin. What do I do with that? Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, notice the emphasis that Paul places on living by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. We should be this community that is always actively seeking out the Spirit in our life. The way we do this, uh, so the first I gave was praise. I'm jumping all over the map here. The second one I'm gonna give is presence. For us to live by the Spirit and to restore that person gently, you must be present. The best gift that you can often give someone is yourself, to be there, to listen, to love, to be Christ to that person in a series of pain, or suffering. For them, for people to feel seen, valuable, safe, this is our duty, to be present together. And I don't mean, I do not mean just showing up on Sunday morning and going home. That's important. Uh, it's important that we gather for praise and prayer and the word. But what I mean is being invested in each other's life. To go to someone in the church that maybe you haven't talked to in a little while and ask them, how are you doing? Are there any ways that I can pray for you? Seek out ways that you can just come along and serve them to encourage them, to walk with them in whatever season of life that is. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. And we do this uh, as we gather together 
and as we pray with one another. Uh, I jumped over prayer, but I'll, I'll, I'll simply mention it here. The prayers of the saints in Revelation 5 and 8 are now the incense offerings rising up to God. They replace the old incense offerings made at the altar of burnt offering and the altar of incense in his holy presence. Here's what I believe that this means. I, I believe that if we commit ourselves to walking in the Spirit, that the Lord's Spirit will lead us. I believe that if we commit ourselves to walking by the Spirit, he will show us where he is working and to come alongside his work by our presence. So, as we think about these things, walking by the Spirit, this is not something that Paul suggests it ever ceases. We live in this tension. What's our main idea? That in saving us through Christ and the Spirit, God has created a people who live the life of the future in the present. We live with our security in Christ Jesus, knowing that he has called us to a work here, reflecting the character of God, imitating the way of Jesus, and this is only done by the enabling work of the Spirit. Let's commit to walking by the Spirit together. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray. I pray confessing uh, that you have told us in your word that it is better for you to leave so that you can send the advocates and that you can send your helper, that you can send the Spirit to us. And I confess I have often struggled with believing that. And so, in my stubbornness, I have not sought after your spirit. But Jesus, I pray that as we, we consider your word and what uh, you have done for us, but also what you have given us by the advocate, by your spirit, that we would be a church that walks in your spirit, that we continually crucify our flesh that we let the gospel do the deep work of getting, in, infecting all of our being. So Jesus, I pray uh, that you can convict us, give us this life of conflict, to be continually asking in every moment of our lives, what would you have us do? How would you have us live? Where are you working? And Father, I pray that the fruit that grows from this church is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness. It's your name we pray. Amen.